Remember that you can support the podcast via Patreon. The link is below. Otherwise, stay tuned for the podcast starting now. So on the podcast today, I'm joined by Mark Stockforth, entrepreneur, speaker, and investor. Uh, so thanks for joining us today, Mark. Thanks for having me, Darren. It's a real pleasure to be on the show. So, yeah, let's jump in. Uh, I, I know you've worked with social media previously and, you, and have quite a bit of experience in that. Um, and I just wanted to get your perspective of how that's changed over the last probably decade and that uh, since the, the real uh, ignition uh, of social media and the influence that it has. Um, and, and what are some of the challenges you faced working uh, in, in that sector of things? Hmm. So it's a it's an interesting question, and, and obviously quite a lot of uh, quite a lot to cover there. But I think, you know, I, I I remember the very early days, and I had a sort of romantic and nostalgic moment the other day, um, remembering the early days of social media, and, and I guess the relative simplicity of the space. And um, yeah, I guess the, you know it was really interesting to start a business at that time. It, it felt like a new frontier. There were a lot of questions being asked about what it meant for companies and, I guess, as a result, what it meant for individuals and their relationships with their organizations. And, yeah, I, I felt very lucky to be able to build a business in, in that space. And um, I think what's changed is, I, I don't know if anybody, uh, even the most enthusiastic and optimistic amongst us, imagined how big a deal social media would be for not just for business, but I guess just for society and humanity as a whole. It, it took on a life of its own, and I don't think we fully appreciated the the magnitude and the force of the thing that we were creating collectively. And I guess there's a number of reasons we could carve out for why that might be. Maybe we just didn't have a, a full appreciation for what it meant when everybody was sharing their data for free or what it meant when we gave everybody the right and power to publish without necessarily the normal um, uh, metrics or, or rather um, limits of, of, of I'm trying to find the right words here. My English is not working today. But I, I guess we gave everybody the right to publish without the controls. You know, the normal um, uh, media gatekeepers weren't, weren't in place anymore. And while that was good because we – we introduced this idea of a truly free and open uh, society enabled by the internet. It also had its its very obvious and, and quite um, catastrophic downsides, which I think we we're working with and working through as a as a community at the moment. So yes, yeah, changed a lot. Uh, it's been a hell of a ride, and it's been interesting to watch it both from the inside and the outside. But yeah, I remain optimistic for the role that society or social media can play in society in the future. And yo, just carrying on from that, do you think there's been like a maybe a bit of a, a downward turn in how social media has been viewed? Uh, where it's, it's, well, if you look in the American elections and that um, previously it was was brought like it, social media was used uh, as a means to uh, of, or yeah, the, like you said, it wasn't safeguarded in that, um, and it was just. Do you think it has things like that have negatively negatively affected social media? So I think there's you know, is there a negative perception around social media? Yeah, I think there's a lot of people um, worried about what uh, an unregulated or uncontrolled um, publishing space could mean in the long term. And as much as I'm very much an advocate for, as I said, free and open networks and all of the benefits of those, I understand that regulation has a role to play. 
ironically, all of these people are generally complaining about social media on social media, you know, which is you know, one of the real downsides to the space is the levels of hypocrisy it seems to uh, encourage. But I think the other side is, is you know, sort of to your point, um, I think the big concern around social media is what it has meant for the erosion of journalism as a discipline and news as a um, a necessary part of, I think, a balanced and, and, you know, independently thinking democracy. We just seem to have lost our appreciation for news, fact-based news. And I mean, obviously, there's always been news and there's always been analysis of that news and then there's always been kind of opinions built on top of that. But now it just feels like we have biased analyses and and opinions and we've lost the underpinning foundation of that. And you just, you need to look just at the kind of extremely diverse views on what the coronavirus means for society by, you know, kind of experts and, and thought leaders on both sides of the political spectrum and all over um, the scientific equation to fully appreciate just how much we've lost in terms of fact-based um, information. Mm. And speaking of, of news and journalism, uh, a term that's been thrown around uh, a lot recently is the fourth industrial revolution. Um, so what type of impacts or, or opportunities uh, do you think await businesses uh, leading into this fourth industrial revolution? Yeah, so I mean, my, my understanding and interpretation of, of what people mean when they say fourth industri- industrial revolution, because obviously it's, it is the title of a book that had a very specific message and, and it's sort of taken on a life of its own and been adopted as a, a catch-all term for all the things in the technology realm that we don't necessarily have a better word for or don't really understand. We just call 4IR, you know. Um, our government is, a, is an extremely talented proponent of that. Like, we'll just call all the things we don't understand fourth industrial revolution. Um, so I think, I think what does it mean for business? I think there's a couple of different conversations to be had there. One, one is around what is... Uh, the emergence and seemingly rapidly increasing capability around AI and automation in the workplace mean for jobs and careers that are kind of you know critical part of of the the, the blue collar workforce and 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 the labor force and and there's a big there's a big concern that you know we're replacing jobs that we can't necessarily um, place those people in other other arenas. So that, that's a big concern. Um, you know, the, the, the industrial complex rewards advancement and cheaper services and better margins and higher levels of profitability and, and people's well-being doesn't always come into that equation. But I, you know, I'm more interested in, in a, sort of a better look at, at what the relationship between humans and technology looks like at a kind of at a very fundamental level. I think a lot of what we're scared of when it comes to fourth industrial revolution is is further away than maybe we acknowledge. Um, as a good friend of mine, Rapalang Rabana says, um, you know, inequality will get us long before AI does. Um, and I think there are other issues in society, some some that are inter- interrelated with technology or dependent on the advancement of technology that are, are worth our attention and conversation first. Um, I think we have massive challenges around um, climate change. I think we have massive challenges around, as, as she mentions, inequality. I think we have you know, significant challenges around 
even just technical capability and literacy. Um, so, so yes, those those are big topics, and and there are as many different opinions on whether we should be pushing the AI juggernaut forwards or or trying to stop it, as there are opinions on coronavirus. Um, but I think yeah, we could we could before we get to worrying about whether the robots will use us as batteries, we can have far more interesting conversations around how we alleviate some of the world's biggest problems today using you know, sort of coordinated efforts that both grow business and economies, but also have significant impact you know, on people's lives. Yeah, and that, that kind of leads me into my, my next question. And what advice would you give to young entrepreneurs in South Africa looking to start SMEs in a somewhat difficult economic environment? Yeah, so I mean, again, it's it's a complicated question, and I don't want to pretend that um, yeah, I, I was very lucky to have grown up in a home that afforded me a degree of privilege, and and to have access to a network that made it easier for me, I guess, in some respects, to build the business that I'm in. And I'm aware that there are a lot of entrepreneurs in South Africa far more talented than me that have less in terms of of you know kind of opportunities to leverage. So, but I do think that. An a situation, a context like ours at the moment that is seemingly increasingly complex and sometimes chaotic does create an enormous amount of opportunity for the entrepreneurial mind. And when I think of what an entrepreneurial mind is, it's somebody who can see ways of combining limited resources in ways that other people can't, right? Innovative ways to combine resources to create value. Really, that's what the entrepreneur does. And geez, if ever there was a time and place to do that, you know, South Africa 2020 is a, is a classic example. Um, so, I mean, my first piece of advice to entrepreneurs is start as quickly as you can. You, you can analyze the opportunity and the business plan and the, the ins and outs of what you could do until you're paralyzed. But, but action, you know, produces really incredible fruits and refines your ideas and, and you know, necessitates connection with other people and partnerships. And that's where real value is created. So the first thing is start as quickly as you can, even if it's a, a, a very average version of what you want to create, a very average version of what you create is still better than no start whatsoever. Um, and the second thing I think is think about like, think about social impact when you're building businesses. I think, you know, for a very long time, business and community have kind of been at odds uh, almost almost being considered a zero-sum game. You know, business does a bit of charity, but it's money we give away. It's not something that's central to our core business offering. Um, it's difficult to do good and do well. I think that's really shifting and has shifted dramatically towards, I don't know if you can build a sustainable business that is profitable and growing in a context like South Africa without taking into account some sort of social impact or kind of, you know, social connection at the core of that business model. I don't think doing good and doing well have to be mutually exclusive anymore. I think, in fact, they are entirely dependent on each other, especially in contexts like ours. And I think that's a really great opportunity because there are, when you start applying the entrepreneurial mindset to social needs and social causes, man, there's, there's so much um, to be done there. And also, Businesses are incentivized to redirect money to organizations that are having positive social impact. So I think there's a lot to be thought about in, in the kind of overlap between those two worlds 
I think the right entrepreneurial mind will see a a way to combine those two things in, you know, sort of very powerful and very sustainable new ways. Yeah, I definitely like that, the thoughts on the social impact side of things and harnessing uh, the community uh, in a different way to to help a business kind of thing. Uh, Because if you... Or harnessing... Yes, harnessing yeah, businesses that. to help communities in different ways. So there's a couple of different ways to skin that cat. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like that idea. And and yeah, and another thing that well, I've seen as well is education. And that when it when it comes to the business side of things, a lot of people, a lot of the most successful people in the world, and that obviously don't have degrees. If you look at the likes of Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and they they, they flunked out kind of thing. Um, but in your opinion, do you think it's worthwhile doing like an MBA kind of thing? Um, yeah, just your thoughts on, on that kind of topic. Yeah, that's a, that's also a great question. I mean, I used to be you know, kind of in the throes of entrepreneurship when I thought I knew everything about everything. I used to be quite skeptical about the role of traditional tertiary education and advancing one's kind of career. And, and when I got to the end of my tenure at Cerebra, I was faced with the, the, you know, kind of the challenge and the question of what to do next and not having a good answer to that, I decided to explore opportunities. I was really inspired by other people who'd sort of gone back to business school, had challenged their thinking in different ways and come out with a new mindset and created a whole lot of value through that new mindset. So, you know, I decided to put my assumptions back in my pocket and explored a, a few opportunities for executive master's programs sort of around the world. I didn't really find a traditional... Um, MBA program that appealed to me because I sort of got the sense that they were all centrally focused on exponential growth and and you know all evidence at the moment supports the fact that unless you're in Silicon Valley, um, exponential business growth is really difficult to achieve at a sustainable level and often has quite negative impacts um, on communities and on people around you. Um, so I was like, what would it look like if you had an MBA that had sort of impact at the center and that's not to say that it's just about altruism it's about value creation but value creation where nobody has to lose um and i found a program at um the london school of economics uh, they run it in partnership with a, a research institute called the the marshall institute and it's a, essentially a, a joint venture to design a new kind of mba that has impact at the center and i enrolled for that program and somehow got accepted by some miracle and that was um yeah, that was the bulk of last year's focus was that that um, master's degree, and it was hugely informative and and beneficial in terms of my kind of bolstering my entrepreneurial view and understanding of the world, but also opening my eyes to different ways to solve um, really big, really systemic problems with with new thinking. And I also met a whole bunch of people I guess I would have never uh, connected with in traditional business or entrepreneurial circles that are just as smart and just as capable in some cases far more powerful than the business people I interact with, but are having uh, really interesting discussions either at a policy level or at a kind of social impact level that I, I just didn't imagine, you know, kind of possible before then in my naivety and, and ignorance. And yeah, that, that course is, was a, a real gift. And um, well, I say gift, it cost a damn fortune, but I mean, it was a real <laughs> gift. And I got, a lot of, I got a lot of benefit out of it. And it certainly has helped reframe my thinking about how to create value um, in the world in, in a way that, 
you know, doesn't, doesn't necessitate somebody losing out. Mm, I like that. And maybe in, in closing, um, obviously mental health and that has come to the fore uh, in recent years, more and more, uh, especially in business uh, and the, the commercial side uh, of, of things. Uh, but how do you find balance in your life when it comes to the, the mental, physical, emotional side of things? Yeah, so it's actually um, a really big topic in my life and kind of quite um, quite timely. Like there is a there is a history of of uh, mental illness in my family and something that we've had to navigate as a family for a for a very long time. And I think the narrative really is changing around you know kind of leaders and especially leaders in business having to be strong all the time and rather realizing that a you know kind of a fulfilled life is is really important to. Nobody wants to be rich and die of a heart attack at 55, you know. Um, I think I think there's a much better conversation, a much more wholesome conversation happening around our understanding of mental health issues and the importance of those in running sustainable businesses and, and fulfilled lives. But I think also just kind of being brave and, and honest around when we're not doing well and when we're struggling. And I think a big a big part of how I've learned to work through that is is with friends that I really trust that are yeah, you know, in in the entrepreneurial space, fighting the same battles and and kind of, the, you know, it can be a very lonely job sometimes. And it's really important to connect with people that you can kind of share openly and honestly with. And I guess the second part of it is around, um, just being very deliberate around, um, pra- practicing an, a self-examined life, being very open to. Uh, things like therapy and uh, mindfulness as a way to be more conscious of how you're feeling and, and the way that you are thinking. You know, we, if you want to get really fit, you go and see a running coach or you see a gym instructor and, and we don't really treat our minds or our brains the same way, you know. Um, we always see that as being a weakness, whereas, you know, the right kind of relationship with the right kind of coach or therapist or um, whatever it might be can, can be hugely empowering and and can have the same benefit on your brain as you know kind of a, a really great personal trainer can have on your your body and your health so i think we, we definitely need to think more along those lines and yeah i'm certainly a, a big proponent of that kind of conversation and yeah i think it, it's honestly an open conversation around that uh, really does uh, advocate for strength and and not in any way shape or form for weakness because everybody's going through something it's just our ability to um, be honest about it and i think uh, change our attitudes towards it that makes a big difference Mm, I like that. I think that's a nice way to close. So thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, appreciate your insights. Uh, and it's always good to chat. Dude, thank you for having me on the show. Absolute pleasure. And uh, I really appreciate the invitation.